This is Leah Burkhart with Check Yourself, a health and wellness podcast aimed at helping you live your best life. Uh, I'm here today with Dr. Schuyler, who is a board-certified neurologist and sleep specialist. He's the medical director of the Salem Hospital Sleep Center, specializing in the treatment of all sleep disorders for adults and children. He is also, quite simply, a remarkable person. It's clear he's passionate about what he does. It's also clear that anytime someone comes to him with a sleep challenge, he doesn't treat the disorder, he treats the person. What Dr. Schuyler is able to do exceptionally well is explain how sleep really does sit at the intersection of so many areas of our health. He reveals how powerful it can be to get sleep and challenges the age-old philosophy that sleep is, quote unquote, for the weak. I'm thrilled that I got a chance to speak with him and we hope to get him on the show again soon so we can pick his brain some more. Uh, so yes, with that, I give you Dr. Schuyler. here with Ty Schuyler, is it? That's correct. All right, I hate when I mispronounce people's names. It's like, no, actually, that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, why don't we start with you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. What is it, you know, who are you, and what do you do? Sure, I am the medical director for the Salem uh, Health Sleep Center. I've been medical director there for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. I was hired directly out of out of fellowship. I'm a, a natural, uh, Oregon born. I grew up in Southern Oregon in a, in a small little lumber town, Riddle. And I went to, to college at Lewis and Clark. And then I did my training in neurology at the University of Arizona. So I'm a, a board certified neurologist. And then from there, I did a, a, an additional year of training in sleep medicine um, at Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, kind of the joke was at the time, I, I always intended on coming back to Oregon. And by the time I was finishing my training, I was in New Hampshire, and one of my friends was like, if your job was, if you were trying to get back to Oregon, you're doing a terrible job. You've got about as far away from, from home as you <laughs> could go. I was like, I'm gonna come back, I promise. So it ended up, I had opportunities to come back and possibly teach at the University of Arizona Neurology, but uh, a job opportunity came up as a medical director uh, in sleep medicine um, at, at Salem Health. And it was just too exciting of a job. Uh, uh, to, to turn away from. I knew it would be a lot of challenges because I was very young. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been here. How young were you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm sorry? How young were you, if you don't well, mind me Well, I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't seen a single patient on my own. I was still oh. out, of, out of training. I was my fellowship, so I would have been starting, I was as green as could be, starting seeing the patients on my own. And gotcha. so, um, you know, I was in my, you know, I think, 32 at the time or so, um, which is still real, relatively young for... Yes. <laughs> but uh, but it, was a, it was a great experience. I got to come in. Uh, basically, the sleep center was in a in a transition period where we had a few providers, and then they ultimately they had uh, they moved on to to found their own practice. So it was essentially just me for a period of time, and then uh, working with the team, we've 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 built it back up and and just have a a wonderful sleep center. I mean, we see uh, academic level of patients every single day. We've grown the team. We have I work with two other providers. Uh, we have a, a great staff of, of day staff and night techs. A large lab, one of the largest labs in Oregon. We we may very well be the oldest uh, sleep center in the state of Oregon. I actually, wow. when I got here, um, I found that we had access to the original sleep study that was done on a patient, oh gosh, I think it was 30 or so years ago when they actually ran sleep studies. Nowadays, everything's digital. So when mm-hmm. you run a sleep study, everything's on a computer and you click along and read it. Well, years ago, they would run hours of study on paper just like old EEGs. And so we have the original, the first ever sleep study that was conducted on a patient all on paper. And I still, and I kept that. I was like, that's just too good to give up. That's almost, if uh, you could frame it, because it, it's too much data. Exactly sure, right. You um, want to. <laughs> yeah, and so that was really exciting to get to see that because that was at a time where, you know, there wasn't a formal lab. I mean, you had a few leads, you hooked them up in the, well, they're literally in the hospital mm-hmm. and they would just look for the diagnosis. And then once they made the diagnosis, they would just turn everything off. But the, the original tech, Steve Bentley, who did it, he still works here by, uh, at, our, at our center as a day, as a, nice. uh, uh, day technologist. Uh, he kept that and, I, mm-hmm. and it was just a wonderful thing. So I still have the original sleep study that we had done years ago. 
Um, sleep medicine, of course, has changed over time. Years ago, when a person had sleep apnea, uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do except the trach you know, tracheotomy, where you actually place a little hole in the neck and allow them to breathe through their throat. Nowadays, of course, we have all these advanced treatments uh, that allow a person to, to address sleep apnea, which, of course, we'll talk more about. But, mm -hmm. um, but it was really neat to, to have the opportunity to continue a program and get a, build a program that um, with such great lineage that it's been, you know, it's been present for, for so long and, you know, and, and a staple of, of, of Salem as a whole. Almost every sleep doctor that you may see that's not part of Salem Health actually did some sort of training or worked here at, at, at one point. Wow, uh, yeah. that is awesome. Yeah. Well, what is it about sleep? I know I can, you said it was, you know, it seemed fascinating, too good sure. to pass up, but sure. what is it that's kept you? Like, why, why has sleep been able to sink its claws into you and, and you haven't gotten bored of it, it sounds like? It's a, that's a great question. It, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I, I love how it expands into other fields. So it's a multidisciplinary field. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are a lot of fields where pretty much, you know, the specialty ties in very well or exclusively with one specialty of medicine. So neuromuscular mm -hmm. um, is going to be neurology. But in sleep medicine, there are multiple fields that you know, a person can, can then specialize in. So you could go through the ENT, even primary care doctors. Uh, primarily it's through pulmonology, neurology, psychiatry, and all. And we have such um, important contributions from all of them because sleep medicine um, is, is not exclusive to any sort of one patient. We all sleep, mm -hmm. and so we all have different problems, and those problems can manifest during sleep. And so I really enjoy the fact that I can learn a lot about other health conditions and how those conditions affect sleep long-term. And uh, so I love that part. It, it, it sounds like it could be boring for some when they, when they think about what we do, like, oh, don't you just see sleep apnea all the time? But the truth of the matter is I see incredibly complex patients on, on a daily basis and it constantly keeps me on my toes. I love that I can tie in other aspects besides just you know, I can diagnose this condition and help you. And it's, I love to see how patients can respond, not only from a health perspective, but you can actually see them uh, when they come back. They're different people because they're sleeping better. Their health conditions are treated. Um, but I love the aspect that I can chip in on other areas uh, of their life where maybe I see that, um, you know, maybe some other aspect of their health I can improve upon by encouragement or motivation or get them set up with, the, with another specialist in another targeted area that maybe their primary doc just didn't think about or have the time to, to land on it um, at that visit. Mm -hmm. And so it really gives me an opportunity to, to work on whole person care, which I view a lot of sleep medicine as. I can treat things on the spot, but I'm always thinking about what's the long-term ramifications of what we're doing. I think yeah. you can think about what we're doing in the now and try to get the person back up on their feet. But then I'm also thinking, hey, 20 years from now, what is the what is the ramification of me knocking out a million apneas rather than you know than just leaving uh -huh. this untreated? And so you, it's it's a fun way to get to think about people's health. It's not just you know I'm here to help you now, uh, like maybe some of the emergency department you would think of. Mm -hmm. um, I get the elements of both. I get to treat you in the now, and then I also get to think about your long-term health. And so for that. Uh, that just ties in well with the way I like to, to practice medicine. I like to build relationships. Most of my patients I treat, I keep. Mm -hmm. And we see them, and I've, I've seen them for years. I get little kids, and now they're turning into adults. And it's, yes. uh, you know, it's really fun to get to see their, their progression, their change. And it's important for me, too, to see how sleep conditions and health um, change with age as well. And so that's a, that's a learning point for me. Uh, and yeah. so it's something that I, I would never want to give up. I, you know, I'm really fascinated by the field technology is constantly uh, adapting to, to make our lives better and in some cases worse for sleep right <laughs> sure. uh, yeah that's, yeah that would came so, to my mind sure yeah so it's it's a uh, it's a great field I always kind of joke that in some ways it's kind of fragile ego field in that you know there are times where I can find something treat it and then the next time they see me they're already feeling a lot better and looking better and that, that makes me feel good too sure. um, and that was kind of how I got into sleep I I uh, I did a just a, a couple week a four week rotation in sleep medicine when I was in, in, in a neurologist and I had some time to work with some sleep specialists and I see these patients and they're exhausted and they're tired and the doctor said, Well I think you've got maybe you've got some sleep apnea based on your snoring and your breathing, you know, history that you provided. Let's let's take a look at it. And they find them and treat it and these patients would come back and they're completely different people. I was like, yes. You've got to be kidding me. There aren't a lot of fields of medicine where you can see someone, fix the problem and then actually see them 
physically, mentally, emotionally, just different people. I mean, you can actually see it in the way they carry themselves, the way they speak. Um, I joke, I have a birthmark above my, my right eye, uh-huh. and I've had patients, and they'll see me, and they'll talk to me, and, and you know, find out they've got some sort of sleep problem, fix the problem, and they come back, and they say, hey, I noticed that you've got this, uh, your, your right eye, did someone smack you there? Uh, I was like, and I, I've been asked that thousands of times uh-huh. um, about this birthmark above my eye. I say, no, 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 it's always been there. I say, I just think you're sleeping better. Now you're more observant, so now you can totally see my birthmark. And then they laugh, and it's all good. <laughs> well, and it's such low-hanging fruit. I mean, it's, it's, we're in it with this weird conundrum, I think, culturally, where they say that like, we have this mantra of, like, sleep is for the weak. But all of the new research that keeps coming out, it seems like it, the opposite couldn't be more true. Like, exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. So sleep provides many different benefits i mean it from emotional it's, it's a restorative process mm-hmm. i mean you can go into how it affects neurotransmitters um but it obviously provides a restorative effect because once you have it taken away from you enough of it at some point everybody feels the effects of it mm-hmm. um but getting enough sleep is incredibly important and what you'll find I, we talked about this before a little bit is um you know as a person who enjoys athletics and, and, and competitive sports it's fun to get to see some of the very elite athletes and how they view their health. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, just the importance of sleep. Mm-hmm. So LeBron James will make sure he gets his you know, famous basketball, the best basketball player on earth, eight hours of sleep per night. Um, Ricky Henderson was one of the, you know, one of the best leadoff hitters for the Oakland Athletics years ago in the eighties. And I remember him specifically, even as a, as a child, I remember him saying something along the lines of, while the other guys were out partying, having fun on the road and those things, he was in his hotel room just hanging out and making sure that he got his sleep. And he was able to play baseball, I think, almost at the age of like 40 years old, um, wow. or at least into his 30s, you know, late 30s. Uh, so very, and there's, there's numerous athletes. Steve Nash was the same, same way. He was a great basketball player for the Phoenix Suns, uh, multiple, multi-year MVP. And he had the same thing where he not only made sure he was getting enough sleep, but he was working with a sleep specialist on the importance of when to time a nap so mm-hmm. that he was at his optimal uh, physical and, and uh, uh, mental capabilities to, to perform at, a, at an older age. And he played basketball until he was up in his early to mid-30s as well, successfully. I mean, wow. he was a fantastic player. So that's just elite athletes. Um, but the, the list goes on and on about the importance of, um, of, of what can happen if you don't get enough sleep. Uh-huh. And I think we're seeing it in a variety of ways. And, I, and I'm glad to see that society starting to see how much of a role it can play. In the era of COVID, we're actually seeing... Uh, with high schoolers, you know, what extra sleep has done in the area of COVID and how it's helped them cope with all of this that's, that's taking place. Interesting. So, Are they sleeping better right now? Well, they're, it's probably not so much about the, the quantity. It's the qual. Uh, excuse me, the, the quality. It's the, the quantity of sleep. So uh-huh. many, one of the longstanding problems with, with, especially with high school, is that when high schooler, by the time you hit a puberty, your, your circadian rhythm, we can talk more about this, uh-huh. but your, your circadian rhythm, which is a 20 a, a roughly a 24-hour clock it's it's designed to basically kind of coordinate all of the different cells in the body to to work in unison mm-hmm. so metabolism and wakefulness and your endocrine organs and what have you but this is not static this thing changes as we age and we hit about puberty it actually starts to become more night owlish meaning you want to stay up late and uh stay up later and get up later but the problem is for schooling for the busing system for teachers uh, they like to start everything very early. And what happens is these kids are getting rhythms, and plus they're social, we're social beings. They want to sure. stay up late and goof around and have fun, but then they start school extremely early, so many of them are shortchanged on sleep. Yeah. High schoolers need nine, nine and a half hours of sleep. So what's happened in the era of COVID is many kids are going, some are going to school, some are exclusively staying at home, and then some are doing some sort of a... Like a hybrid. Like a hybrid. And a new study just came out of BYU. It's basically showing that um, even though the kids... Most disliked the hybrid model. Uh, they actually were coping still very well with it, and the thought was that they were still getting enough sleep. And what they, they correlated was that getting more sleep in the era of COVID, just because some kids, because they were exclusively at home, they can kind of set their own hours. They were actually getting more sleep on average compared to if they were exclusively in school. Uh-huh. So there is a cope, and they think that the coping aspect improved, even though all of this is going on right now, all of the mm-hmm. setbacks with COVID, partly because high schoolers have actually had more opportunity. To sleep. California sets some new laws, of a, as I understand. They're starting school a little bit later, I think 8.30 or, or so. Interesting. To, to give high schoolers more opportunity. I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, on some, some prior research, graduation rates have been higher, school satisfaction, participation are higher, just because kids get 
even a little bit extra sleep, it really goes a long way. Half an hour to an hour can be instrumental for, mm -hmm. for high school kids. Oh yeah, I, I would say for anybody. For like, anybody, it's amazing. you're right. But exactly. imagine, especially for high school kids, because there's so much going on there during. Oh, absolutely, and, yeah. And um, high school yeah. kids have so much that goes on anyway. They have to have their sleep just for. Not only do they have to maintain, you know, high grades and participate in all the, the you know, the, just the, just the social interactions are exhausting. But then you have all the sports and the extracurricular activities that they, that you know, and the club activities that they participate in. It's an exhausting day, mm -hmm. and so and as they're still developing and growing and maturing. They have to get their sleep to recuperate from all that, and unfortunately, because of circadian rhythms and mm -hmm. and just uh, society is at large and distractions, of course, with technology. Sure. Yeah, many of them are, are are getting shortchanged on sleep, and what happens is that that sleep deprivation builds up over time, and then it just becomes very challenging for them to, you know, repeat goals and and uh, function optimally. Gotcha. Well, so when it, when it comes to circadian rhythms, like, mm -hmm. is there is it highly subjective and individualized or do you see trends like for example on average circadian rhythms look like this during this age this during that age and yeah so on. generally when you're when you're very young it's it's more of an advanced schedule kids go to bed early they wake up early and, okay. and most parents will recall when their kids are very young their kids are getting up at five. Oh, i wish you would sleep in a little bit later they don't they get up early because that's where their clock lives um, as they as they get older, transition five six years old, it ends up becoming a little more of a, a, a kind of regular schedule where mm -hmm. they would go to bed, you know, eight nine o'clock and then get up around six seven o'clock. But it's around thirteen puberty when it starts to to delay. Okay. And eventually, uh, in adulthood, it'll actually for most people it'll start to kind of come back to a to a more traditional schedule. About 10% of individuals will have what's called an advanced schedule, which means they go to bed early, they wake up early. 10% uh -huh. will have a night owl tendency, which means they, they tend to want to go to bed very late and wake up very late. My clinic, I tend to find a lot of people who claim to be night owls, uh, mm -hmm. night owls you know, some eveningness tendencies, but statistically, they're probably still people that would fall under the, the, the normal uh, a circadian rhythm pattern, which is thought to be about 80% of people. Okay. Um, and what I, is that, by the way? Is it like 10-ish to 6-ish? Somewhere or like around, what, yeah, exactly like, right. Okay. And it can vary a little bit. I mean, as long, you know, the average person should be getting you know, there's no magic number, but I mean, we, we like to think along the lines of seven to eight hours for an adult is good. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of do the math uh, in terms of a, of a bedtime, you know, you know, 11 to 630. Um, but wow. ar around that time would be kind of considered the um, traditional, I think they call it the hummingbird. A person yeah. has a, a regular sleep schedule is going to be a, a hummingbird. There's the night owl and then there's the lark, the morning lark. Those are the early birds. Interesting. Um, as we age, um, uh, our there's a tendency for our clocks then to become more advanced. And that's why you might see uh, some individuals uh, start to, to nod off at a much earlier time, seven, eight o'clock, and then they start finding that they're waking up much earlier, three, four o'clock in the morning. And that's partly because mm -hmm. for different reasons, the circadian rhythm has started to change and they, they might actually have a more advanced schedule. And when you say seven to eight hours, do you mean that total amount? Like when you said 11 to 630, that's about seven and a half hours. Maybe seven and a half hours in bed. But, but ideally, you'd have a little bit more time. Yes, more time in bed to achieve the seven, seven and a half hours of, of gotcha. total sleep. Yeah, because yeah. I'm thinking of like I, I've got, you know, trackers on me that I, I, I love data. I'm one of those obsessive sure, people that's sure. just like, oh, I want to see what my sleep score is and all of that. And I will notice there like in terms of if I want to get eight hours of sleep, it's like, I almost legitimately have to be in bed for 10. If I want to get seven, eight to nine is enough, but it's like, wow. That's I, right. That's right. I mean, perfect world. You could, you could know your sleepy, uh, kind of your sleepy symptoms, whether it's yawning, drowsy eyes, when you're reading a book, you keep reading the same sentence repetitively, but <laughs> you just lie down, you fall asleep. Kind of what's considered normal is falling asleep within 30 minutes. Um, you, you stay asleep for you know, the majority of the night. If you have a, a reason to wake up, bathroom break, or have an awakening, you, you can return back to sleep um, and then get up and start your day and feel relatively refreshed and function throughout the day without feeling that um, you're, you're, not, you're not struggling with, with mental fatigue, physical fatigue, excessive daytime sleepiness, because all those can be a manifestation in some circumstances of, of poor sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, some people require more sleep than others. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we say it's important to get seven to eight hours of, of sleep. There are some people that are considered longer sleepers, long sleepers, mm -hmm. which is a normal variant. They just need 10 or more hours, but then they feel fine once they get that sleep. If they get their eight and a half hours, mm -hmm. which would be awesome for me, I don't get eight and a half hours, but if you get eight and a half hours for them, that's almost like they're being maybe shortchanged 90 yeah. minutes of sleep and they start getting the sleepiness. So you find that it's not a 
true sleep disorder in the sense they're mm -hmm. just busy people and thinking they should get their eight hours like everybody else and it turns out they're long sleepers they get the extra sleep they're good to go gotcha. um, and there are short sleepers as well that don't require that do not require uh seven hours they can get by on, le on fewer than six and they function just fine as a result um yeah. like the clintons is, is, i don't know if that's actually true but mm -hmm. as i understand he was known for only sleeping five hours or something correct there like, are some presidents right. uh President Trump, I believe, would say along the lines of five or so hours. Clinton was uh, not a high number of hours. I believe um, uh, Bush Jr. Was, was one that made sure he had X number of hours. I think it was eight plus hours in bed to make sure he got enough enough sleep regularly. And that was his rule. He was going to get... Um, wow, yeah. nice. As and a health so, coach, I'm, of course, going, good for him. Yeah, I know. I know. Isn't that, that's wonderful. Because I would think as the President of the United States, you might never want to sleep because there's so many things that you're going to have to address. But... But getting that that sleep actually is is, is critical, and yeah. I, yeah, I there are course presidents that have not. I'm sure that we're getting <laughs> far fewer hours than they needed, of yes. course, uh, <laughs> to make optimal decisions for our, our country and the world. <laughs> sure. Well, and you mentioned like different sleep disorders that can manifest. Like, what are what are the things that most commonly land at your feet when they're knocking on your door? What are the things that, mo yeah, what are the most common things that people The most are common sleep with? disorder that I'm going to see in the clinic, it's the second most common sleep disorder that exists, is, is obstructive sleep apnea. Okay. So uh, what that entails is, is obstructive sleep apnea is a condition, it's a, it's a breathing disorder that manifests exclusively while we're asleep. Mm -hmm. So there are common symptoms uh, that, that people will hear about and say, oh yeah, I recognize those symptoms. It's made, that sounds like sleep apnea. Um, but what happens is, is ideally when we go to bed, we go to sleep, we breathe, we move air through our nose or mouth, move it into our lungs and back out. When people have sleep apnea, they're having repetitive upper airway obstruction or blockages that are taking place. Mm -hmm. So the, there's a collapsible area right behind our tongue in the upper airway. So think of the, the upper airway is basically just a tunnel of muscles. Mm -hmm. And these muscles stretch and contract and, and create this tunnel. And the tongue kind of forms the front wall, sits up front. Mm -hmm. When we go to sleep, these muscles will relax like many of our muscles and they only function at about 30% capacity. So they're not tightening quite up as much. Mm -hmm. When you factor gravity in, maybe genetic predisposition for some people having a more collapsible airway mm -hmm. or other reasons, maybe weight can play a role because sometimes tissue can kind of push the airway closed, the tongue itself can get larger, but essentially everything relaxes down mm -hmm. and it narrows down enough that when we're trying to breathe air, it starts getting blocked at this, at this spot. Now, if a blockage happened here or there, that wouldn't be a big deal. But what sleep apnea means is that too frequently, too often, that airway is narrowing down, blocking airflow. Uh -huh. And as a result of that, there's a basically kind of a cascade of events. Uh, mm -hmm. When the airway narrows down, it starts restricting airflow. Well, the brain's very sensitive to that. It picks up just the flow differences, and it may just try to fix the problem very quickly by having what's called a microarousal. It wakes up very quickly, and it sends a message down, opens up that airway. Mm -hmm. Brain goes back to sleep. In order to do that, to get into this microarousal, it has to hang out in a lighter sleep. So uh, either the airway can close down and wake the brain up, or the brain can kind of sense it, wake up, fix the problem. But if a person is having 30 of these an hour, 60 mm -hmm. of these an hour, 120 of these an hour, Whoa, can you can start many. to see what the brain is having to do. It's having to sacrifice a good quality of sleep to make sure the body breathes. Yeah. So it's waking up maybe thousands of times during the night to reestablish airflow mm -hmm. so the body can get enough air to oxygenate the organs. But spending so much time in a lighter sleep, sleep architecture gets thwarted, it's totally undermined, and as a result, you wake up the next day and you might feel terrible. And uh -huh. that's what ends up happening. Those restorative effects that maybe you once experienced as a child, you no longer have. Maybe you're tired, maybe you're mentally fatigued. Uh, maybe certain parts of the day where we all feel a little tired, you're extremely tired. Mm -hmm. Some people have levels of sleepiness uh, because there, there are no restorative wakefulness effects of it, that they're, they're struggling with excessive daytime sleepiness all day, sometimes to the, to the degree that it would rival that of narcolepsy. Mm -hmm. And when that airway gets blocked off uh, because there's less oxygen getting into the lungs, we, uh, you actually see when we do a sleep study, you see oxygen levels dip down. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they can dip very low. So oxygen dips down, airway is reestablished, then it gets fixed, then the oxygen comes back up. So now you've got this roller coaster oxygen level going on throughout the night. And it doesn't have to be huge oxygen swings to start causing problems. Mm -hmm. When the oxygen level dips and then comes back up, in the small little blood vessels throughout our body, they're getting these changes in the oxygen level because mm -hmm. of the airway opening and closing. 
when that happens, inflammation starts to rise within the blood vessels. Okay. And inflammation, uh, typically of any sort, mm -hmm. and especially in the realm of sleep apnea, means that the interior lining of the blood vessels uh, become somewhat damaged mm -hmm. and less responsive to the messages sent in terms of blood pressure regulation. So they become stiffer in a sense or non-responsive. So they become tighter. Some people, when they sleep and have sleep apnea, their blood pressure doesn't drop. Our blood pressure should drop by about 10% when we sleep. When people are having sleep apnea, the dip, the 10% nocturnal dip doesn't occur. Uh -huh. So their, their blood pressure may be quote unquote normal, but it's relatively abnormal because it should have dropped. And so this absence of the nocturnal dip mm -hmm. can actually carry over if this goes on long enough to lead to blood pressure problems. When the airway gets blocked and the oxygen levels dip, adrenaline levels may surge, mm -hmm. or they could surge because the brain's waking up. Yeah. And so now you've got adrenaline levels surging as well as oxygen. And imagine what your heart's having to do through all this. Your heart, blood, your heart's having to try to pump, uh, work harder in the setting of less oxygen, mm -hmm. in the setting of you trying to breathe with an airway close. So you've got all these pressure dynamic changes going on within the cavity. Mm -hmm. So your heart's having to try to figure out how to pump and work harder in the setting of lower oxygen to supply it. Mm -hmm. So long-term, people can end up having cardiac problems as well. Heart rhythm problems, heart failure, heart attacks. Same thing with the small blood vessels, you can be at risk for stroke. So long-term, having this go on night after night after night for years mm -hmm. does put a person into a, a higher risk for potentially developing some form of vascular um, problem. Sleep apnea is kind of that condition that just seems to make everything else out there worse. It seems like you can yeah. almost pick a health problem and find out, yeah, if you treat apnea, this gets better. Migraine uh -huh. headaches, knock out the apnea. Migraine headaches, you have fewer and less severe. Asthma attacks, fewer of them, less severe when you get the apnea treated. Probably with COVID, fewer risk of having significant COVID if you can treat sleep apnea. So the list goes on and on, but it, it just goes to show if you have uh, oxygen levels out of whack and your brain's waking up throughout the night, you can, it can really manifest in a, in a variety of ways. And for people that come in, they come in because they're telling the doctor, I can't stay awake. I'm fatigued. I'm falling asleep. I, I'm so tired. I'm falling asleep at the stoplight, um, you know, waiting in traffic. Um, I'm waking up, you know, gasping for air. You know, a common one is, uh, I don't know if I have a problem. I'm just tired of my wife hitting me in the ribs with my elbow because I'm, you know, apparently she's telling me I'm stopping breathing. And so, uh, to the observer of someone who's sleeping, it, it doesn't look like they're breathing. No, they're trying to breathe. They're just uh -huh. not moving their chest while or their abdomen very well because the airways block and so you actually can hear or see the, the absence of, of, uh, of air movement. And so it, first time I saw sleep apnea on a relative mm -hmm. as, a, as a second grader, it freaked me out. Mm -hmm. It was a scary thing to observe. I had no idea what sleep apnea was and I saw my, my uncle do it. And I, I thought maybe he died on the couch right then. And then he started breathing and I was like, what was that? <laughs> uh, and then he did it again and I watched like three or four in a row and then I realized I guess that's just how he breathes, but boy, that scared me. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until years later when I finally learned about sleep apnea. You know, now I know what was going on with my uncle at the, at the sure. time. Sure. Yeah. Well, if you're the person who, like, say you don't have a partner, there's no one who could cue you in yes. on this, what would be the indicator to you that you might have sleep apnea? Like, would it just be fatigue in the day, or is there something that... So it could be, it could be any number of things, and that's why sleep apnea is so tricky, is that quite often I'll have patients who will tell me that they don't think they have anything wrong with them. That uh -huh. can be one manifestation. They're just saying, you know, my doctor says I carry some risk factors for it and I have high blood pressure. I don't, I don't think I snore. I sleep alone, I don't think I snore. I don't wake up snoring, I don't wake up short of breath. I feel fine, all that jazz. You do a sleep setting and they have significant sleep apnea. Uh -huh. Now, but there are people who, and most of the time people do manifest with symptoms. And it might be, in a, you know, unexplained repetitive awakenings mm -hmm. at night. They just keep waking up spontaneously. Uh, maybe they start going to the bathroom far more often, two, three, four times, you know, inexplicably. I don't have any, I don't have problems with my prostate. I've seen the doctor and they do the full workup, nothing, but they keep going to the bathroom a lot. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they catch themselves snoring. Maybe they're waking up with morning headaches. Some people will wake up overtly gasping for air. We call that nocturnal dyspnea. When it's really severe, we call it proxismal nocturnal dyspnea. This is where like people wake up and they run to the window to catch their breath because oh. they're so out of breath. Some people, it may be a more subtle thing where they just wake up and feel like they've been breathing a little heavier. Like if they had just run a little bit and they're kind of winding down, mm -hmm. they feel like they had just been breathing a bit heavier. Maybe their heart rate's up a little bit. Um, but it's either going to be something along those lines of nighttime symptoms of waking up often, maybe the shortness of breath, or it's, if they sleep alone, or it's gonna be the, the daytime manifestations where 
I just don't feel rested anymore. I feel like as soon as I wake up, I need more sleep. Uh Um, Or I'm just not, you know, I'm just not functioning as well as I once did. Some people, the sleepiness, um, what's really hard for some is that the sleepiness came on so subtly. The apnea just slowly progressed and started to affect them that they acclimated to it and they don't even recognize how bad it's become. Right. So it's very insidious. It just sneaks up on them and they're excessively sleepy, but they're still powering through the day on and, and not really picking up on the fact. It wasn't like it hit them. Some people, they gain 30 pounds very quickly and all of a sudden something's abruptly different. Yeah. And those are pretty straightforward and we can get that fixed. But sometimes they're sitting there just saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm tired, but it's been going on for so long. Um, There's a gentleman I work with that would often say that, you know, the best part about being a human is that you can adapt to just about anything. That's right. The worst part about being a human is that you can adapt to just about anything. That's exactly right. And there can be some that the level of sleepiness finally gets so high that if you were to kind of look at your own recognition of the sleepiness, Uh it actually cuts off. It plateaus. So it's not like I can get sleepier and sleepier and sleepier and sleepier and tell you, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a, I feel like I'm now a, what I told you was a 10 a week ago, you know, a year ago is now like, a, it feels like a 20. It'll just kind of feel like the exact same, even though if we did a, a test to actually quantify how sleepy they are, they're much, much sleepier. So eventually the brain can't even pick up on, on how bad it can get. It just sort of compensates and, and has to live with it. Well, and doesn't, as I understand it too, if a person doesn't get enough sleep, that also impacts levels of say cortisol and adrenaline that are just, like for example, if someone's baseline on a scale of one to 10 of cortisol is ordinarily a three in the morning and then a five in the afternoon and then a three in the evening again. Uh, maybe someone who's not getting enough sleep, they start off at a five and then go five to seven. Cortisol can run higher insulin resistance. They did Mm -hmm. studies where they sleep deprived young, healthy men for a period of time and they found that they're uh, their insulin levels were, were naturally higher, so you, your, your cells become less resistant, or excuse me, become more resistant to, mm-hmm. to insulin levels. Uh, cognitively, we, we clearly have delayed reaction times. Um, our decision-making capability, our frontal lobes just become far less. Uh, front, our frontal lobes are what makes humans human. It's, the, it's mm-hmm. the analytic component to our brain that allows us to look at things, have working memory, make decisions, and most, probably most importantly, inhibition, things mm-hmm. that we choose not to do. When we get sleep deprived or are sleeping poorly, um, the frontal lobes become less functional, essentially. Uh-huh. They just don't function as much. And we tend to see that, especially in the realm of decision making for, for food intake. Uh-huh. Uh, people can become more compulsive and, and, and more anxious and angry and irascible if they have, uh, you know, when they're sleep deprived. But we tend to see it a lot in the setting of, of, of food intake. And what happens is, is our frontal lobes have the capability of looking at certain foods and saying, no, I shouldn't eat that. Boy, that donut looks good, but I'm going to pass on it. Right. Sleep deprive someone and then have them look at that donut. And all of a sudden it's a very different decision-making process. Uh-huh. They want to say no, but now they can't have that same level of inhibition and they're far more likely than to, to engage in eating certain things or the, uh, the total caloric consumption, how much they eat changes in the setting of sleep deprivation. So when we're sleep deprived, we tend to gain weight. Yeah. Um, our actually our our hunger hormones get thrown out of whack too, so we're we're more likely to become less satiated, uh, full when we eat. So we're going to eat more anyway. Uh-huh. But they've done fMRI studies where they actually look at the brain, look at the do- uh, the the dop- the areas of dopamine. Dopamine is an area that lights up when it gets excited. Uh-huh. So we have this little area called the ventral tegmental area, and that scores some dopamine when we see something we like. Uh-huh. And so, for example, like people who like to gamble, if they hit the slot machine, that little area, that dopamine area starts triggering. Uh-huh. You can do the same thing with food. And they've done studies and they have found that when, yeah, you can look at the ventral tegmental area, these dopamine areas when they look at certain foods and then sleep deprive someone and then look at it again and that area really lights up. So all of a sudden your, your inhibition and your reward system get thrown out of whack essentially. So you're more inclined to maybe becoming impulsive. Mm-hmm. And the same with the frontal lobes, they become basically hypofunctioning, mm-hmm. um, and they've done that in the setting, like I said, of, of sleep deprivation with, with with food, and people are just more inclined to to going after and eating those things. And I can tell you that personally, like uh-huh. well, I've I've taken call, I took call for years, and uh, post call, part of it you want to give yourself a little reward, but mm-hmm. you, and maybe that's part of my own thinking process. I deserve this reward, yes. and so, but <laughs> I had far less inhibition, and so the bacon and the eggs and the donuts and pile it on, give it to me. Yeah. Um, I'm sleep deprived. I'm going to do that. Now, if I'm just getting up in a normal day, I might choose something. I might have a little bit of that, but far more healthy options. Uh But, but yeah, I mean, most of us, I think could probably find ourselves and say, 
you know, I remember being sleep deprived and I, I'm going to blame whatever I did because of sleep deprivation. You were probably right. Uh-huh. That's absolutely probably yeah. the case. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because it's the poor little prefrontal cortex is sort of like, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, uh, PTO, <laughs> like I'm out. <laughs> yeah, and and often it's it's uh, family members that may you know, and I get a lot of that. Family members bring in their their significant other, their spouse, uh-huh. their their children, and they just say, you know, really grumpy in the morning, or worry, really short fuse, or depression levels are higher, anxiety levels are higher, and again, that part of that's the coping mechanism. Sometimes it's not even depression. Sometimes it's just you're sleepy, and that's how you manifest. Is just you're you're really tired and you can't cope and it makes some people just feel blue and feel down and you get that you get that that apnea treated or you fix their sleep problem and they feel significantly better so sleep apnea um what's really neat about it it's it's readily diagnosable Mm -hmm. we can do home sleep apnea tests where a person takes a device home they wear this little apparatus that can let me monitor their breathing figure out if they have apnea we can do the in-lab test Mm -hmm. which is where they stay the night in our in our lab a person uh called the technologist Mm-hmm. basically kind of hooks a patient up head to toe and you can kind of surmise what what we're looking at based on where the little leads go we look at brain waves mm-hmm. breathing uh of course uh breathing effort we're looking at leg movements we have video we're looking at the heart rhythm we can kind of see how all of this correlates um when they're sleeping at night and what's really cool about sleep is you can tell me all that you want and tell me i'm going to do this i don't think this is going to happen but once you fall asleep you're no longer in charge. And then I can really figure out things pretty quickly. Sometimes within a matter of minutes, we can get an idea uh, of what's taking wow. place. Some people have apnea so bad, they start having apnea really even before they've fallen asleep. The breathing mm-hmm. patterns actually start to, to show apnea even before the brain waves have fully gotten there. So oh, that's wow. a very collapsable airway. Uh-huh. Um, you can almost stage their sleep based on what their breathing is doing. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, if you were to put this in gradation, so like someone comes to you and they're sort of like, okay, I don't really know what's going on with me, but I know I'm not sleeping well. It's hard for me to fall asleep. I don't seem to sleep well, blah, blah, blah. Sure. What is like level one advice that you give to folks? You haven't yet gotten any of their their like hard data, but it's like, well, while we wait or until between now and your appointment when we can find out more, here's what I would recommend for you to try. And what would those things be? Yeah, absolutely. So it... It's a great question because it ties in that, uh, as a neurologist, it's, it, there was kind of a, a joke that neurologists really want to like find that one problem, uh-huh. find the, you know, the smoking gun. They want to solve all, you know, all these health problems. It's because <laughs> of this diagnosis. If I can get that, fix them. But that's not how medicine works. That's not how people are. They usually have two or three problems. Sometimes I have like six or seven sleep problems going on at one time. I mean, mm-hmm. they're very complex. And so... The, the reason I love that question is because often what we find is there are things that the person uh, may un- unwittingly may be doing that mm-hmm. may be kind of undermining their own sleep or opportunity to, to, to thrive in sleep. And then there may be the physiologic things, mm-hmm. um, some of which are unknown. Um, so I would want to do a sleep study to look into it. But but quite commonly, we want to focus on things. And, and usually people are pretty good about it these days, but there are still aspects of what's called sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I don't love that term but basically when you think of hygiene it's like taking care of yourself I mean, we kind of how to think of body hygiene but sleep hygiene is the same thing which is what are the things that i'm doing that uh is putting myself into a position to to optimize my sleep mm-hmm. and there can be a lot i mean we start thinking of our own little habits there are a lot of things that we can do that work against us and so those are some of the things like right off the bat i'm going to give tips on or give educational material about so at the very least if we're going to do a sleep study and work things up they've got some things that they can work on mm-hmm. Some of it may be their sleep schedule would be one thing. Some people um, have what's called insomnia, which is either the inability to fall asleep or stay asleep or they're waking up too early. Mm -hmm. One of the things we want to start looking at is um, the time that they get into bed. Mm -hmm. Their insomnia may be nothing more than their their timing of when they get in bed is completely off with what their circadian rhythm would otherwise mandate. And so they don't really have an actual problem with their... With their sleep they're just the timings off and so if you can kind of line when they align when they go to bed with what their probably circadian rhythm is sometimes that works to their to their advantage um a common theme is that when people start having problems sleeping they start diving in bed earlier and earlier mm-hmm. what the thought is well i need to get as much sleep as possible the only way i can do this is if i spend more time in bed to capture that and even if i'm not sleeping i'm resting that's uh-huh. kind of the thought well the problem is is if you if you get in bed too early, there's a couple things working against you right off the bat. Number uh-huh. one, uh, the longer we're awake, the, the sleepier we get. That's a simple concept, right? Sure. So if I keep you awake for 24 hours, I stay awake for 24 hours, you're going to be very, 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 very tired. 
compared mm-hmm. to if I just said, how tired are you after being awake for two hours? Mm-hmm. No comparison. And one of the things that happens is people sometimes get in bed very early with the idea they're going to try to kind of get to sleep when they can. But if they get in bed extremely early, their brain just hasn't had enough opportunity mm-hmm. to build up that level of sleepiness to cross, cross the threshold to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. When we're awake, the longer we're awake, the more of what's called adenosine builds up. It's this byproduct of, of cellular metabolism. More and more adenosine builds, builds, builds. These adenosine levels go and land on certain receptors, and that actually creates the brain to start to get sleepy. Mm-hmm. Caffeine actually works uh, as a uh, kind of a receptor blocker. So when you consume mm-hmm. caffeine, dark chocolate, coffee, tea, etc., what that does is it goes in there and it lands on those receptors that normally the adenosine goes and lands on. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it makes you more awake. Sure. So it's just blocking the adenosine. And so if you're getting in bed too early, you just haven't built up your adenosine levels long enough. And that's called the homeostatic sleep drive. You just haven't built up enough level of sleepiness. So when you get into bed, you may not be all that drowsy. Uh-huh. The second thing is you've got what's called the circadian rhythm. This rhythm is designed to do two things. Help you stay awake during the day, and then it drops off at night uh-huh. so that you fall asleep. If it's partly, uh, re- it, it is... I rephrase that. It's tightly related to your body temperature. So during the day, your body temperature raises, and that ties in with wakefulness. Then at a certain point, it tips off, and then it, it drops. Uh-huh. Okay, that's the core body temperature drops off. If you're getting in bed trying to sleep while your body temperature is still high before the cooling phase has occurred, again, you may not be able to fall asleep. You may feel wide awake. There are actually certain periods of the, of the 24-hour cycle where you may find peak levels of for most of us, peak levels of wakefulness and then dips during the day and then a period where we should be sleeping. Uh-huh. And so what we try to do, what I do right off the bat is kind of hear where, they're, what they're, where their schedule is at, mm-hmm. when they're getting into bed, mm-hmm. and then to see if we can get that lined up so they're more likely when they get into bed to fall asleep easier. Uh-huh. So when people, for example, are really tired, they may nod off in the evening before they go to bed, or maybe they take these, these naps because they feel kind of tired. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is when you take a nap or even nod off, you've actually chewed up a bunch of that adenosine. So it's kind of like a pressure cooker. You've been, you've been building up all that pressure to fall asleep. But then when you took that little nap, even if you nodded off for a couple of minutes, it's enough in some people that you, it's like you release that valve and psh, all of a sudden you've oh, lost that no. level of sleepiness. Uh-huh. So then they go, oh, I'm tired. I just kind of nodded off. I'm going to go to bed. They've lost that level of sleepiness, and now they may feel wide awake. Uh-huh. Or maybe they fall asleep, but then they sleep for a little while, and then they wake up, and then they're wide awake. And uh-huh. so we really try, for people who are having problems sleeping, really try to make sure they're doing their best to stay awake throughout the day, line up their bedtime, and then make sure that they're keeping their, their rise time when they get up in the morning pretty consistent. Because mm-hmm. when, when the morning time varies, that can actually work against your clock, and then how awake you are. So Absolutely. that's what, so that's one of the, does that kind of make sense overall? Absolutely it does, yeah. And then you start thinking about like, Okay, what are things, what else are you doing? When are you timing your caffeine consumption? Mm Because we just talked about how caffeine can make you awake too late in the day. It's going to be disruptive to your sleep. Even if you fall asleep, your brain may be waking up repetitively throughout the night, more light sleep because that caffeine's working against your brain so you're not cycling through your, your sleep cycles. Yeah, I mean, I know and I know different people seem to have different levels of sensitivity. So Absolutely. Like some people, Absolutely. like, they, you know, they'll tell me, oh, I sleep, I drink caffeine 8 o'clock at night and I sleep like a baby. And there's some people where it's like, if I drink even one drop of coffee yes. beyond 10 yes. a.m., it's over. And I can speak to that personally. I, uh, so there's a couple things that I've had happen. And one of the things I think I, I do well with my patients is I, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes like the rest of us with our sleep. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear them, they're like, I, I've done that one. I can tell you about that. So, mm-hmm. so caffeine, to your point, with coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had it where I went through a spell where for some reason I wasn't sleeping great. So I added some extra coffee in my day. And then I got to the point where instead of drinking two, three cups, I was probably having four or five and even later in the day. And I couldn't quite figure out. I was like, man, I'm so tired. But the coffee kind of helps. And then it finally dawned on me that what I was doing, that I created my own bad pattern. Yep. Of, I was using the coffee to keep myself awake, but I was having so much and so late that it was actually interfering with my ability to get a more restful sleep. Uh-huh. And I just kept the cycle going. And so what I finally did is instead of just quitting coffee cold turkey and giving myself horrible headaches, mm-hmm. um, I actually started to kind of taper back and start using more, uh, you know, just black tea. Mm-hmm. But some coffee or mostly black tea. And then all of a sudden it immediately within a few days, all of a sudden my sleep restoration and wakefulness improved and then I transitioned back to drinking coffee. Uh Um, Some people can tell me that and I've heard that so many times. If I drink coffee, you know, like right before I go to bed, um, that's fine, I can fall asleep and do that. But they'll still tell me they're not not good sleepers or they're really tired. So they're trying to tell me that coffee doesn't matter. 
But the truth is they're drinking so much coffee that what happens is when they stop drinking it or when they fail to drink it near bedtime, they're going through withdrawals. <laughs> so when they drink the coffee, it cuts their withdrawals down and then they're able to sleep. And so Exactly. So we have to factor in how the body is habituating to all the exogenous things that they're putting into their bodies. Yeah, like all these overcompensation mechanisms. Exactly right. Exactly sure. right. Um, and so that would be one aspect, you know, the electronics. I was just going to ask about that, like with blue light or electron. Like, so I, I've got a dog, and I swear this is related. Uh, she loves laser pointers. Yes. I just recently introduced this into her life, and I swear, like, her eyes dilate. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Finding Nemo, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. with a shark, you know, when he gets a taste of blood, it's like, ooh, and that's what happens to her. And she's, before laser entered her world, uh, she was very much like a, she was a snuggler. She she only wanted to go on walks. And sure. now, insert this little tiny thing. And it's like, no, that is in her entire universe. She will stare at the drawer that has the laser pointer Oh, my in goodness, it. yeah. And it's, I swear it reminds me of, like, teenage kids with social media or with electronics or with video games. Like, it's that level of just, like, do you want to go outside, Remy? Like, nope. Exactly, I, yeah. Uh, but, it, but it feels like with, like, I, I bring that up only because I, I, I realize how much just this tiny little shift in her environment impacted a dog and I'm thinking about humans and our crazy brains and when you insert things like television or again social media or cell phones and all this and they're great I'm not knocking them but they've got to have some crazy between the dopamine and then also the blue light messing with yes. like your melatonin production like, how has that impacted the people that come to see you? That's a it's a really it's a really neat analogy with the with the dogs. Of course, I've done the, the laser lights <laughs> yes. with cats and dogs as well, and actually small children. It's really fun yeah. to do that. If the first time they've ever seen it, they're like they're just to watch them sit there, like what, what is it? And they got to touch it and move it. And like yes. I'm, I'm totally guilty of that with my own son. Yes. Uh, but uh, it's it's a good point because classically, you know, I think most people have heard like, oh, if you look at television or or some sort of screen time at night. It, it's going to suppress your melatonin levels. We can talk more about melatonin, but it suppresses your melatonin and it's harder to sleep. But I think more importantly, what you've pointed out is that it's far beyond just melatonin. Melatonin is a molecule that gets secreted actually several hours before we go to bed. And basically, I kind of think of it as like preparing the the the, the, the airport, the, the landing pad to make sure that the plane can land at night. It's getting everything properly prepared. Mm -hmm. The plane can still land if you haven't done a very good job, but it's not going to be a good landing. So without melatonin, it, you still could fall asleep, but it's not going to be optimized. But it's far beyond just melatonin because, the te I mean, even last night, I, I stayed up late. I was, I was, I was binge watching a, a television show. I was reading um, the book. <laughs> <laughs> and, and normally I'm not, I'm not one that binge watches television, but it was, a, it was a really good show and I, I, I justified it by staying on my exercise bike the entire time. So I stayed on my bike very late last night <laughs> <laughs> so I could binge watch the show. But what happens is, you know, these writers and, and, and television has improved so well uh, in that uh, they write them in such a manner to keep you hooked so that every episode ends somewhat with a cliffhanger to keep you involved. So you're, to your point, those, those dopamine pathways that we talked about, mm -hmm. they're firing. They, you love this stuff. This is fantastic. And your dopamine levels are firing. That's going to increase your wakefulness system. So not only are you not making, you know, having the melatonin secreted to help you sleep, your arousal system is excited. This is captivating, this is engaging. So instead of your sleep system slowly increasing to help you fall asleep, it's totally being outcompeted by your arousal system because it's, it loves what's going on. And for some people, it's an overt addiction, uh -huh. which is gonna far super, uh, supersede the sleep system and it's just gonna keep you awake. And okay. it's some, you can just keep fighting that and bypassing that. We have the, the volitional capability to do so you got to get up at some point to start your day. You're going to pay the price for it. And that's where yep. sleep deprivation gets us. And so whether it's social media, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all the, all the different sites, whether it's binge watching television, whether it's just texting your friends, all these sort of things have that capability, not only to, again, change melatonin levels, but, but to engage you in such a manner that your wakeful, your wakefulness system just, just is excited. Stays. Yeah. yeah. And you know, last night, cause I love to like, um, there's an audio book that I love. I like to listen to audio books. Sure. Sometimes I'm, you know, the proper nerd when I have the nonfiction stuff going. But sometimes it's like the fantasy fiction, which is a thriller and it's going on. And then, but because I love to listen to them, I, there's like a little real mindless game that I can play on the phone as the book is playing. So of I course. feel like, and it's like, oh, I'm really tired. And I, and I swear in my own brain, as a person who knows how habits work, I'm playing this thing and I'm listening to the book. I'm like, okay, this is the last one, right. last round. And then I'm shutting it down. Okay, this is the last chapter and then I'm shutting it down. And so last night I was definitely awake until 11.30 when I got to get up at 6.30 and I, I 
all the things. And it's like, I know better. Yeah. And I even know better while I'm doing it. And it's still like, but just one more, Mom. Five more yeah. minutes, Mommy. <laughs> and there's great insight into that, but it goes to show how there are internal battles that, that, we, that take place based mm-hmm. on on things that we want to do, things that we know that we have to do. And that, that goes on with many things in our, in our lives. And mm-hmm. one of the times, unfortunately, I suppose, it happens during sleep because one of the few moments with busy worlds, with kids, that we have that opportunity to sort of unwind, yeah. but we may choose things that help us kind of unwind that have, whether it's addictive properties or just stimulating properties that work against us in sleep. And then it, sometimes it starts to spiral. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, when you, when you mentioned that, it did make me think that one of the things that happens when people have insomnia often they they can't sleep because they fear their inability to fall asleep and so they're yes. they the the term that in sleep medicine the sleep books will call it catastrophizing which means if i don't get enough sleep the world is you know xyz is going to happen this mm-hmm. is going to happen if i don't get my six and you know my seven hours of sleep i have to do it this way or or, or the world's going to come to an end um they get so fearful and so freaked out about their inability to fall asleep that their arousal system takes off, the cortisol levels, the adrenaline levels, those things take off, and then it just perpetuates the, the insomnia. But one of the things that we, I like to talk about was, is over time, cognitively, you start trying to explain how if you have one bad night or a bad night here or there, it's not gonna be the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And they try to, they'll kind of come back at you. And, and of course, I, they've had this for years, so I, you know, we fully empathize with them. I mean, we've all had you know, bouts of insomnia. But one of the things I point out is, yes, that's true. There, you, you're, you may not function your best on those bad nights. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. But have there ever been times where you just decided, for some reason, you wanted to stay up late and enjoy it? Maybe like you were at a Christmas party or with your family and you just stayed up extra late hanging out. Did you really fear that next day what the ramifications were going to be? Mm-hmm. Do you even remember what that day was like? No, no, I don't at all. Mm-hmm. And, and so it kind of puts it into perspective that there can be some times you can have a little bit of sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. The world won't end. And... So we start chipping away little bits of these catastrophizing mm-hmm. thoughts of insomnia and what the ramifications of maybe not sleeping well one night can mean. Mm-hmm. And then that actually provides a relaxing approach with the long-term goal that we start to condition the brain to help it, uh, to basically reduce that arousal system so the, so the sleep system can, can, can take over. Yes, well, there's a gentleman who, he was able to frame it really beautifully. He said, you know, in any kind of symptom, and in this case, insomnia, it's like really there's three levels to it. There's the, the insomnia itself. And sometimes mm-hmm. if a person is suffering, it goes on long enough, people will really say like, this yes. is physically painful. Yes. I cannot take this much longer. So there's the insomnia itself and no one should, you know, we're not belittling that. That can feel awful. And then the next level down is, okay, well, how do you manage it? So that's like sleep hygiene. Do you meditate during the day to try and compensate? Do you turn the blue light off? Do you have, you know, what have you put in place for yourself to manage this thing? Mm -hmm. And then the third one is the relationship to it. And he said that third one is the most subtle, but in many ways the most powerful. Because Mm -hmm. if you can get people to such an extent where... Even if you don't have a good night of sleep, you're not giving it the keys to the car. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost like you make peace with the fact. It's like, yeah, this, this feels lousy and I hate it. Mm-hmm. But it's still not the end of the world. That is sort of, in his mind, he's like, that's Jedi ninja status. That's when you know, yes. no matter what happens, you can navigate this beast. Absolutely. And, and for, for a lot, there are different approaches that people take, but... Uh, for, for helping with insomnia. And, and I think part of it's very provider specific where you just have to find the way that you can best engage with patients and find what works best for you. Because there are textbooks on cognitive behavioral therapy and they give you the, the, the guidelines. But ultimately you have to determine the best way to get that message across to help with people. Mm-hmm. And what I have found very effectively is that, uh, you know, I like to start a lot often with behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, the, and the reason is I, I'm, I'm one that's, I like motivation, mm-hmm. I'm, I, and I encourage people a lot. But I've never, uh, as time has gone on, I, I tend to be less of one that wants to put uh, a lot of re, you know reliance and, and put my all my eggs in the basket of, of motivation. Mm-hmm. Because even on a daily basis, how many emotional swings and things do we go through? At one minute yesterday, I was thinking how I want to do these five different things, and then later on, a few hours later, I was feeling a little low. And and mm-hmm. there's so many different things that can happen in a day. I don't want to just purely have it based on motivation, especially in the setting of someone that's had the same thing go on for maybe years on end. Mm-hmm. So what I like to focus on is something that, that's small, that's tangible, that they can do mm-hmm. quickly and, uh, and, and not make them have to think a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. And what we do is, and usually that's along the, the, the realm of how much time they spend in bed, when they go to bed, making sure they're not sleeping during the day. 
and then just giving them some guidance on what happens if you feel like you can't sleep when you're in bed that night. Mm -hmm. Just give them those simple, four simple steps. And typically what happens within a matter of weeks, there's some improvement. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, and it doesn't work for everybody, but there's a small improvement. And that little nugget of improvement where they come back and say, yeah, it's better. Now, sometimes it's almost miraculous. Mm -hmm. I had a guy the other day, 20 years of, of not sleeping, saw a psychologist. And I said, well, you know, this would be probably what we do. Have you seen a psychologist? I don't want to see a psychologist. I want you to do it. <laughs> okay. okay. I said, all right, well, we'll do it. I said, uh, I, and I just I said, I said, okay. I was probably in his 60s. And I said, we're going to do it this way then. This is what you're going to do. And he goes, okay, I'll do that. He came back, I think it's three and a half, four weeks later. And, you know, I was thinking, well, I hope we've got some improvement. That's really all I'm aiming to do is just see some improvement. And then we'll mm -hmm. try to work off of that. And he goes, that advice you gave me, that did it. I was like, what? He goes, that was it. He goes, I did exactly what you said. I'm falling asleep and I'm staying asleep. I'm good. In fact, he was so, he did so well, I didn't even see him anymore. I told him, <laughs> I mean, you know, 20 years, this went on. We went over some steps. He was happy. I, I discharged him from clinic. I didn't feel like I needed to see him on an annual basis. Um, now, yeah. often that's not, that's an ex, kind of an extreme example. Sure. But, but, they're, but we're ultimately hoping for some improvement so they can see that, yes, I can I can do this. It is something that can be that we can improve upon. And then as we start to do that, that's where you start to add a little motivation, encouragement. You start to say, you start slipping in little bits to start to have them formulate the idea that this is it's a condition that they can take control of, mm -hmm. internal locus of control, and, and improve upon. And then it starts to improve from there. And often I see it, it takes me one to two hours to fall asleep. They come back. Now it's. Uh, uh, now I'm falling asleep within 30 minutes to 60 minutes. So, mm -hmm. so all of a sudden, that's a, that's a significant change. It's huge. I mean, think about an extra hour in bed wide awake when yeah. you're just lying there frustrated, mind is on the go, arousal system activated, you're tempted to play with your phone because you can't sleep. Um, you knock out an hour here and there. That really matters. Mm -hmm. And then that's where you, and then you build off of that with the little, little bits of encouragement. And then you start focusing on the other health aspects that sleep hygiene exercise the other little areas mm -hmm. and then we just start to build that relationship and that's where over time they might start talking about other things in their life that could be playing a role mm -hmm. and then we, we can talk about those things and then it you build a great relationship sometimes we use medicines most of the time as a sleep doctor I don't use a whole lot my goal is usually to try to get people to take fewer of them um, mm -hmm. I kind of look at it like if I get you sleeping just the same or mm -hmm. a little better but on one you know one less medicine mm -hmm. that's a that's a huge victory yes Oh, uh, yes. It's Especially a huge victory. Any, any kind of movement on sleep, and that's my experience, too, both personally as well as with others. Like, when they see any movement there, it's just like, oh, thank you. Yeah. This yeah. is amazing. I mean, I, I, I get people, and I, I think this is probably better managed through some sort of, a, a you know, almost like addiction counseling, but we may not have that as, a, as an option, but they, they're on five or six sleep aids. And yep. the primary doctors of different doctors have tried their best, added meds. Patients ultimately end up on this, this huge concoction. And in really, you know, most of the time I don't necessarily take over those meds. I don't want to, you know, do that. But I'm going to say, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to work with you, and we're just going to start chipping away and see if we can take some of these away. Because you slowly added so many medicines, I don't know to what effect how those are working against you in, in other areas of your life. Yes. You know, this drug might be causing the sleepiness that you're telling me about, or this drug may be totally messing up your sleep architecture. So maybe we think about this one, or maybe. Maybe in some cases I can substitute one medicine to take away two. Yes. And so those are the kind of things that uh, it doesn't happen quickly. Mm -hmm. It takes sometimes years for that. But I'm looking at it from the realm of I'm getting you on fewer medicines. You're probably in, in the setting of you sleeping better and safer. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's kind of what we do. Um, yes. And there may be sleep studies involved for, for further workup and things. But um, but it's very rewarding because mm -hmm. you're, you're improving people's health how they feel about themselves and put them in, in positions with better sleep so that they can make better decisions in other avenues of their life. Mm -hmm. And I, I really, I love that. I love it when they come back and tell me, I'm feeling so much better. I've been able now, now I think I'm ready to go to the gym. Or, <laughs> uh, you know, I had, I had one lady and she said, you know, she was just crying in clinic. She goes, I'm just so tired. I can't, I can't be a good mom for my son. I'm, you know, two years old and I, I'm always short with him. I cannot, I can't control myself. I'm just so tired. I cannot emotionally. Um, and then, you know, she ends up having significant apnea and you treat it. And then she comes back and she's feeling so much better. And, you know, like I said, often vibrant. And you can just tell, you know, her relationship is going to be better, you know, yeah. with, with, her, with her child. And so relationships play such an important role 
because not only are we making one person's life better, we're making a lot of family members' lives better. Absolutely. Um, both in the in the now and then, of course, for for long term health. Well, um, and it cycles right back to where you started, where you said one of the best parts of this is that it's so it's right standing at the intersection of so many different categories or areas of our health and well-being yeah. like our relationships our physical well-being our ability to do things that otherwise would bring us even more yeah. sense like yeah if you can't get enough sleep how are you going to exercise well if you don't exercise yeah. you know look at all the other opportunities that are available to you just because you didn't get enough sleep absolutely um and it's you know and and some of the things you hear are, are very touching so a lot of times when i tell people i'm a sleep doctor they say, oh you're the guy that deals with the mask right and it's like yeah I, I do that's one of the things i do but, you know, I'll hear things, you know, I had a young man, he was probably 21, mm-hmm. you know, big guy, really nice, he was with his wife, and extremely tired. So, and she, he was kind of, you know, he, he was telling me the story, he, he was tired, his wife was saying, he's exhausted, he's so tired, and then he, he did open up, and he goes, you know, we just had a newborn, and he goes, I was holding my baby girl, she's so sweet, and he goes, I was so tired, I dropped her. He just, she just fell out of my arms and thud on the ground. People are never going to tell anybody else in the world that story. They'll tell me that because he was so tired from his sleep apnea coupled with the sleep deprivation from being a new daddy that he couldn't even hold his, he couldn't even hold his daughter. And so, you know, again, the beauty of what we do is, you know, within a month, he's much more awake and, 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 and feeling better about things. Um, but, but the level of, but, but how sleep um, can affect us can be so robust um, and so powerful. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about narcolepsy and some of those conditions um, or some of the really funky stuff that we see in sleep <laughs> that really make it a fun, fun clinic. But well, if you ever want to come back, <laughs> oh, I'd love to. There. I, you know, it's it's something I could talk about for for hours. But I'm I'm very fortunate. I'm fortunate to have the the one of the, I think the best sleep team in you know in this in, in Oregon, maybe around the country. Um, I've worked. A lot of a lot of a lot of people and 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 I love our team and we yeah. take we're much in the realm of uh, what Salem Health is. Uh, we 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 follow that that, that credo that we're mm-hmm. we're we're patient driven and and maybe there are other sleep centers out there that that kind of have their things that they want to to kind of treat and they, they pick and choose what they want to see. But we're not like that. Mm-hmm. It's just I just tell people you you put it in front of me. We'll, we'll, I'll see it and we'll we'll do our very best. And so we we get to see everything and that makes us better because there are times where we'll, we'll run ideas by each other say i the other day for example i saw a patient and i see thousands of sleep apnea patients i went over to my colleague dr noda and i said i explained one of the things that that and i said i've never heard that before i said i've done this 10 years i've never heard this of you and he was like no no and <laughs> I, and so i've gotten to the point where i see so much of it um there was a little saying that one of my my mentors dr Payne, told me when i was a neurologist and I explained what was happening with the patient, and then I said, you know, based on on symptoms with the textbook and how it didn't line up. And he goes, Ty, and I was very, I was just, I was a junior neurologist, and he goes, Ty, patients don't read the textbooks, and and that really stuck with me that there are going to be moments when you meet people that it's not going to align at all. It may right. be the most rare form of a you know manifestation of a sleep condition that you've seen a bazillion times, but this is going to be that one time you believe them. Yeah. And then you work that up and go further with that. So that's one of the things I love about what we do is we may see a lot of the same conditions, but um, it's nuanced and, and we're here to learn. I don't, I don't pretend to have any idea that I know that much about sleep. I'm just here to learn every day and, and, and build those relationships. That's phenomenal. And it's, again, it, it becomes an opportunity to have a conversation. And that sounds what it, like what it's really about for you is, is being able to have that conversation. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for having spent some time here talking about all that you know. Your encyclopedia's worth of knowledge, so it's a thrill. Um, well, well, I appreciate you letting me, you know, having the opportunity to get it. This is my first ever. I love podcasts. I'm a podcast <laughs> junkie. Too. But to get a be on one, I couldn't. I, it was partly I wasn't going to sleep last night. I was so excited about getting to be oh, on one. I've, I've all, I was like, just the opportunity to get to just talk naturally mm-hmm. about something you love for an hour. What a, you know, what a, what a great thing. I was so excited about it, but. But yeah, if you ever wanted me to come back, I'd be happy to talk about some of the other things that we said. We, we touched on insomnia and we talked about sleep apnea and, and, mm-hmm. and sleep as a, in, in, in generalities. But, but there are a lot of other things that we see that uh, would probably raise you know, eyebrows to the, to the average person and say, wait, people do what out of their <laughs> yes. sleep? Are you kidding me? They, what? And, and, and so we, we do get that. And I get mm-hmm. actually a lot of it just by volume. 
Um, so those are some of the other aspects, you know, things that we could ever talk about if you ever wanted to. That would to. be phenomenal. <laughs> yes, so much yes, exclamation point. <laughs> and so before we close for today, though, is there anything you would want people to know, whether it's uh, resources that you would recommend people go to when, they, when they, they're sort of like, I'm at ground zero, I don't know where to start, I need help, but I don't know who to look for to help me? Yeah. The, what would you recommend? I, I would say right off the bat, you could type in just on any browser, you could type in things like sleep hygiene uh-huh. and, or, 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 or healthy sleep. And there are an endless number of articles and they'll have the sort of the same flavor of some things that you can do. Mm-hmm. But you know, I would say to, you know, and that would be kind of the, the, the general thing, because sometimes you just find, oh, I'm doing this, this little habit, fix this, I'm good to go. But one in four people now in our country have a chronic sleep disorder. One in four. So that means if a, if a doctor sees 20 patients in the primary care setting, on, on average, probably at least five of them are going to have some sort of a condition that the doctor, he or she would be justified in sending a referral over to a sleep doctor. So wow. I, I would say don't wait. I would gotcha. say one of the most common things that people tell me when, they, when I treat their sleep condition and they feel better mm-hmm. is, I wish I would have done this 20 years ago. I wish I would have done this 10 years ago mm-hmm. because they feel so much better. Um, Life is short, there's a lot to do, there's endless opportunities. When you're not sleeping well and someone can help fix it, don't wait, yeah. talk to your doctor and say, you know, and sometimes it's, it's demanding because some doctors aren't always quick on the trigger to refer. Right. And, and, and quite often now patients are, are just the ones that say, I wanna go see the sleep doctor. Mm-hmm. And I would say, come to us. I would say, come to Salem Health because um, I'd like to say there isn't anything that we haven't seen. That's not true. There's always new things for us to learn, mm-hmm. but um, we are the most experienced around probably in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hardly ever do we ever refer to academic centers anymore or anything along those lines because the advice we get back are the same things that I would have already done. And so, and that's not, that's not to be, you know, braggadocious or, or, or to, to, to hubris or anything along those lines. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of, of experience uh-huh. and, um, and us willing to work with the patients on that and for them to be heard. Um, yeah. I see so many patients that have already seen the other sleep doctors and, they just they tell me why be why their relationship you know didn't quite go right, but they stay with us, and that's in part because uh, maybe I'm looking at it from a different point of view. Maybe we're more experienced with it, but um, you know I, I want people to come to see us. Mm-hmm. We'll provide you with the best care, and don't wait because there's there's so much out there to do. If you're not sleeping well, there may be maybe fixes that we can get on it for you, and then get you back on your way. That is wonderful. Well, again, such an honor. So thanks so much. For yeah, I appreciate it. In. Thank you. Absolutely.